Hi there, this is Elliot. Before we get to the episode, just a quick word. The next few episodes are going to focus on some new page thought leadership. And while there'll be tons of information in these new episodes, I encourage you to visit paths.page.org. That's P-A-T-H-S dot page.org. There you'll find progression paths and a host of new resources that are designed to help CCOs step up and lead in brand new ways. With that, here's the episode. While PayPal is perhaps best known for making secure financial transactions online, the company, especially since it was spun off from eBay in 2015, has been focused on how it creates real value for society. It's driven by a broader purpose, to democratize financial services, especially for the underserved. In this country, people pay 10% of their income for financial services. It's about what they pay for food, and it really doesn't have to be that way. That's Franz Pasha. SVP of Corporate Affairs and Communications for PayPal. On today's episode, we're continuing our series on the CCO's Paysetter with a discussion with Franz about PayPal's journey to purpose and the ways that the company is bringing it to life. I'm Elliot Mizrahi, and this is The New CCO. We face a very interesting dilemma all over the world, that it is expensive to be poor. People who live, you know, at a challenging end of the economic spectrum are paying more and more fees for the things that you and I take for granted. If they uh, bounce a check, they pay a large fee. If they need to cash a check, they pay a large fee. If they want to send money to a relative, they pay a large fee. In this country, people pay 10% of their income for financial services. That's about what they pay for food, and it really doesn't have to be that way. Wow. In a world of software, um, in a world of, uh, <laughs> of of mobile phones and smartphones, we can do a lot better. A company can be more than just about profits, that companies with purpose and companies that really have a strong mission and vision that's aligned with the public interest can balance uh, purpose and profits and serve many constituencies and serve them well. So what's interesting here is when I think about PayPal, I only see it through the lens of transferring funds. But it sounds like the ethos of the company is around societal value creation. Has that always been the case or how did that come to be? Yeah, when PayPal became independent, Dan Schulman sat down with the- Independent from from eBay. eBay. Dan Schulman, sort of sat down with the employees of PayPal and with the leadership of PayPal and focused us on how to think about the contribution we could make to serving underserved populations and to enable the affordable uh, moving and managing of money. We had this amazing opportunity to sit down and craft the mission of PayPal. And at the heart of the mission, we we, we said we are going to democratize financial services and focus on serving populations that are underserved by the, by the financial system. And we do that in a whole range of ways. Uh, we have a number of different services. You're probably familiar with Venmo, uh, which enables people to share bills and you know, brings a sort of democratic quality to how, um, to how mostly young people, but how people um, experience uh, the sharing of expenses and ways to um, transfer money between each other. We uh, 
we have a service uh, called Zoom, and Zoom has um, reduced the cost of remittances from uh, families who want to send money to their families in other countries. It's a, it's a, huge, um, it's a huge sector in the economy, remittances. Um, in the old days, you used to have to line up at a kiosk, and someone would have to line up in a, in a neighborhood somewhere around the world, and you'd take an afternoon off of work to go and collect your money, and sometimes the kiosk didn't have money, and you'd go to another kiosk. We now have the ability to move money from a smartphone in New York City or London or Berlin or Paris um, to a relative um, in, in Mexico or, or, or the Philippines or Brazil or, or India and to move it instantly. All those things change the way people function in the, in the global economy. On the business front, we are highly focused on enabling small businesses and entrepreneurs to have access to capital and to have access to the most current e-commerce tools. And we know that that's making a huge difference for small businesses. We know because when we study our working capital loans, we see that PayPal's working capital loans are going in large, large proportions to regions of this country and other countries where the banks have pulled out and where it doesn't, where banks don't see it as financially viable to have a branch. And so if you're a small business in a rural area or in an urban area that's not a high net worth urban area, you may not have a bank to walk into to discuss and negotiate a working capital loan for your business, which is on a growth trajectory, but you need that next step. You can get online with PayPal and you can get a working capital loan um, in a matter of minutes. For a small business who gets onto PayPal, it completely changes their global footprint. Our studies show that when a small business gets onto PayPal, it's close to 80% likely to engage in global commerce and to be able to transact with customers in other countries. Um, if you don't uh, have a digital platform, if you're not on PayPal and you're a small business, single digits likelihood of actually being involved in global commerce. That changes everything for small businesses and it actually helps to democratize um, e-commerce, enabling small businesses to do what big businesses do. And frankly, I think it also builds really interesting interconnections across countries um, that affect the way we think about globalization um, and we think about the value of global interconnectedness. Um, we are a, a, a large payments platform that can function at scale to reduce the cost um, and to secure uh, transactions. And that enables us to do things that many companies can't do. The new research that Page has released uh, unpacks societal value creation into three categories. And I think I've heard at least two of those three so far. One is, how does the company create value for society through its core products and services? That's everything that you've been talking about so far. Second is ESG and sustainability, mitigating the negative consequences of the business, accentuating the positive ones. And the third is taking stands on societal issues, speaking out or taking action. Can you say a little bit about whether or how that fits with its ethos of creating value for society. Yeah, let me start. Um, so from the very beginning, we understood that if we were going to put our values up on the wall, uh, that, that, that we, 
we knew that had to be more than words on the wall, that these had to be uh, principles. The, the talk had to also be the way we walk. We committed ourselves to these values early on. One of our core values is inclusion. That has led us to take strong stands on anti-discrimination in our democracy um, and helping to ensure that there's not discrimination. The first time we were challenged on this, uh, really directly and publicly, was in North Carolina. Visitors will retire from the chamber. The sergeant at arms will close the doors. Lawmakers who would normally be home for the holidays found themselves back in Raleigh. We were about to open a large operations center with a lot of good jobs, and we were really on the edge of, of, of taking on uh, a new company operations center in Charlotte when the state of North Carolina passed a very discriminatory law that would have affected the rights of the, of the transgender community, of the LGBT community in North Carolina. The backlash against North Carolina's new law banning anti-discrimination protections for gay and transgender people is not over. This morning, gay rights... Was this the bathrooms? Yeah. Bill? Yeah. The newly passed legislation known as House Bill 2. Although it really goes way beyond the issue of bathrooms, it goes to the issue of who is protected under the law. Since HB 2 passed nearly two weeks ago, several companies have threatened to take their business out of the state. That law tried to exclude uh, members of the transgender community from being able to claim um, the right to equality. And it also enabled the state to preempt more progressive laws that cities like Charlotte were seeking to adopt. So it had far-reaching consequences. Um, we looked at that and felt that we could not, uh, pursuant to our values, open up a new operating center and be an employer in those conditions. And, um, and we pulled out and we decided not to go. The state of North Carolina is excited to add this prominent name as a major operations center. Less than three weeks ago, Governor McCrory proudly announced PayPal would come to North Carolina, bringing with it 400 jobs. We're so excited to be growing here. Not anymore. We had uh, a ribbon-cutting ceremony on our new uh, operations center on a Friday, where the governor uh, and the mayor uh, celebrated that PayPal was coming to North Carolina, to Charlotte. About four days later, the governor and the state legislator passed HB1. You know, as we looked at it, we saw companies writing letters and we certainly expressed our opposition, but it became clear that, uh, that the law was not gonna be changed and that the business community was not going to be able to change this law by virtue of a letter writing campaign or by the kinds of calls and lobbying this was happening. And, the governor got up on TV. You know, after listening to people's feedback during the past several weeks on this issue, I have come to the conclusion that there's a great deal of misinformation, misinterpretation, confusion, passion, and frankly, selective outrage and hypocrisy, especially against the great state. He looked out at America and he said, you know, companies are gonna complain about this, but no one's gonna do anything and they're all gonna end up coming to do business in Charlotte because it's a great place to do business. And, uh, you know, I was watching this broadcast with Dan and uh, he went back to his office and I went back to my office and then he came down to my office and he says, we're pulling out, get ready. 
PayPal's CEO announced in a statement the company would no longer be coming to the state due to the passage let's, let's of HB2, saying in part law. the new PayPal law perpetuates discrimination. canceled a 400-job operations center. This is since the law was passed and you signed it in March. Deutsche Bank shelved plans for facilities. It was a moment where we had to um, act with consequence on our values, and it wasn't simple. It wasn't an issue that the nation was in complete agreement on, uh, and it was a bit lonely at first, but then uh, lots of companies joined us in this. And uh, well, I should say, when Bruce Springsteen decided that he wasn't gonna go to North Carolina, and when uh, college basketball decided they wouldn't go, then we understood. The boss bowing out. Just days before a big concert in North Carolina, Bruce Springsteen's surprise move is a protest against the state's so-called bathroom law. The world was shifting, but for us it was a it was a, a, a proving ground for whether we were prepared to stand on our values. And look, we got a lot of hate mail, we got a lot of pushback. Um, it was a, it's a divisive issue, but it was you know core to our values that we we felt we had to take a stand on discrimination. And I think for most of our employees and certainly for our, for our leadership and for many of our customers, it was also a matter of pride that we were willing to take that stand. Since that time, we've, we've stepped up on a number of inclusion issues. We are active in amicus briefs, protecting the rights of both of our employees, but also of, of American citizens in this country. Um, and we also take action uh, when it comes to uh, hate or violence on PayPal. So we've, we have felt that it's really important that if you're going to say what you stand for, then you need to stand for it and you need to be willing to act. The company chose to walk away from a business opportunity because of its commitment to its values. What were the conversations like internally you said there was pushback, understandably so. It's a difficult decision. Why do you think values won out there? And what what would you say to other CCOs who are maybe going to take up that fight and know there will be resistance? Yeah. Why do you think it worked out the way that it did in your case? Look, I think our, our leadership team was unified uh, and certainly... Um, Dan was prepared as the CEO to take what I think was a courageous step. And so three days later, we made our announcement. Um, and uh, of course, there were discussions with our senior leadership team, but it was a moment where we, we understood clearly that someone was gonna have to go first, um, but that also this was core to our values. And we've had other circumstances like that uh, whether it involved uh, a travel ban, whether uh, it involved another form of discriminatory legislature where we have felt that because we place inclusion at the heart of who we are, uh, that we need to be willing to take a stand. One of the things that we talk about a lot is, you know, that is the fact that if you have a clear sense of your mission and you have a clear sense of your values, these are not political decisions. These are values-driven decisions. If you know who you are and you know what you stand for, these choices can be very clear. 
On August 12, 2017, a group of white nationalists gathered in Charlottesville, Virginia to protest the removal of a statue of Confederate General Robert E. Lee. This was the scene in the liberal college town of Charlottesville, Virginia on Friday, reminiscent of images from a dark American past. Hundreds of white nationalists from across the country descended upon the University of Virginia's campus ahead of a planned demonstration to protest the removal of the statue of Confederate General Robert E. Lee. Counter-protesters were also there, insisting that the monument was a salute to racism. People from both sides ready to fight. It would be the start of a bloody 24 hours. It didn't take long for the conflict to boil over into outright violence, with a car smashing into the counter-protesters, leaving a 32-year-old woman dead and 19 others injured. In the aftermath, there were statements condemning the violence and racism in general, many of them coming out of corporate headquarters. PayPal took the opportunity to take a stronger stance, making a statement that their payment processing platform cannot be used to fundraise for groups that promote hate, like the Ku Klux Klan or neo-Nazis. This wasn't a one-off. Yeah, Page has spoken a lot in its work about authenticity. You can't claim to be something that your actions are not showing you to be. And so it sounds like this was an instance, and I'm sure there are others, where the choice you've made said something about who you are as a company, and the opportunity to do that had value on its own, the signal that it sends about how serious you are about that adherence to values. Yeah, and I think you have to be prepared to act. Um, another example um, that's more recent is, uh, and it's different, but it has a similar, there's a similar dimension in terms of, in terms of knowing who you are. Uh, when the federal government shut down and um, federal workers were really um, suffering, not being paid, um, and many of them were living paycheck to paycheck. Government employees continue to show up day after day to work here at Philadelphia International Airport, even though they're not being paid for it. How long is this going to last? I have to It's an undue burden uh, on us. We instituted um, a program to provide interest-free cash advances through PayPal to federal workers. Um, and it was something that we could do that would enable them to um, have that necessary uh, additional uh, additional funding for that week's expenses. PayPal is helping workers impacted by the government shutdown. The online payments company plans to offer cash advances of up to $500 for federal employees to help pay for food, gas, and... So in that case, I have to imagine there's a bunch of moving parts there, uh, but you wanted to act quickly. So how did you marshal this program quickly enough to deliver that kind of value? What did it take to get there? Yeah. You know, we were in a room not unlike this room for 72 hours. And for those that are listening, this room is very nondescript. Right. <laughs> it's just a plain conference room. But essentially, we had in the room, we, had, we of course had to have uh, attorneys, and we had our credit leaders, and we had customer service. You have to be ready to stand up a customer service operation when you, when you offer a new program. You've got to be thinking through um, what are uh, any regulatory requirements, what are the legal requirements, how do we actually communicate this? You know, and so we had three different strategic work streams. 
Um, and we also had to publicize it quickly so that people could take advantage of the program. We did something which we hadn't done before, which is we announced this through um, an op-ed in USA Today. Um, and uh, Dan, uh, we felt it had to be a CEO voice, so we had an op-ed from Dan that, that led in the morning that we were announcing this in USA Today, and then we brought that to television stations, both local and national. I want to start with the government shutdown. Uh, because uh, you took steps, I believe, just last Friday yep. uh, with a new program called PayPal Helps uh, to help government workers who are not being paid. Yeah, that's correct. First of all, Andrew, thanks for having me. Becky, Joe as well. Always good to be here. We went out with a podcast and with video clips, and we really tried to reach federal workers all over the country. We decided that we had both the opportunity and I think really the responsibility to, to step up. We found that local TV was a, was a great way to get the message out. We're not very often on local TV as a, as a global um, technology company, but within, those, within that short amount of time, our communications team really developed a whole strategy to communicate. Similarly, our credit team had a strategy, our regulatory team, so it was a fantastic across the company effort, but again, it shows the power of values and the power of a strong mission where people understood like, okay, this is why we're here. Like this is a moment if you know who you are and you understand what you can contribute, you have to be willing to, 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 to throw the switch and take action. And we believe that. You have to deliver. An example that um, I think I could I can share is that you know I've spent a lot of time working on this whole question of what crosses the line with respect to hate and violence. Where is something appropriate dialogue and free speech, and where is uh, and when does a uh, and when does a website cross the line into advocating hatred and violence? And that's a uh, that's been um, a, a thought-provoking and difficult process for all the platform companies and all companies that have online customers. We have an acceptable use policy that we uh, can enforce, but it's not always 100% clear. And very often, what very often um, advocacy groups on both sides of the equation will take issue and can make life. Uh, very uncomfortable if they disagree. And I think in situations like that, if you are very clear on why you're taking the action you're taking, we have turned off some websites that were using PayPal to raise money um, for um, activities that we thought crossed the line. And, and we made our determination and we made the decision. When we feel that they've crossed the line of our acceptable use policy and our values, then we'll um, terminate their ability to use PayPal to raise funds. Um, it's a careful process and we are very mindful of the importance of diversity of thought. We're very mindful of the importance of great um, rigorous dialogue in a democracy. Uh, but we also know that there's, uh, there are kinds of conduct um, and hate and violence that we don't want, we don't think, we think we have an obligation to not permit PayPal to be used for that. Um, sometimes it's clear, it's the KKK, it's the Nazi party, it's white supremacist group. 
Sometimes it's uh, hidden and cloaked and you have to sort of get under the surface of the website and understand what are the signals, what are the codes, what are, what are, how are people uh, interpreting this and then what do they do? Um, and how are the funds being used that are being given? So it's not a simple process. The consequences can sometimes be extreme. It can engender threats. Uh, it, it, these actions can, you know, can be exaggerated by, by journalists on both sides of the spectrum. We can be, sometimes in the same day, we're criticized by advocacy groups who think we're not doing enough, and we're criticized by advocacy groups who think that we're doing too much. And I think if you know who you are and you know what you stand for, you can navigate that, but you also have to have no space between you and the CEO. Because when those moments come, when the heat is on, you need to be able to have a candid conversation and say, and say look, we're doing the right thing, we're living by our values, and, and you need to have the support and confidence of the leadership to make those hard choices. Um, and that's, I think, ultimately what it's all about. It feels like it all goes back to this idea of the CCO as the conscience of the organization, capitalizing on opportunities to say and show what that identity, that whatever you want to call it, the brand, the reputation, the culture, all of that ladders up to this sense of corporate character, you know, who we are, what we stand for. And it sounds to me like throughout all these examples, it all emanates from that clear sense for which there's consensus among the leadership of who we are, what we stand for, why that matters, and that that matriculates all the way through to employees as well. And that, to me, feels like authenticity, that it's woven throughout. I think that's right. And I think it's, it's also all about the partnerships that the CCO, or in my case, the head of corporate affairs, has across the company because we live in turbulent times. There are challenges that we've never thought of that come up. Um, you have to have strong relationships, you have to have shared values, and you have to be a great collaborator. Um, and you need to have credibility because it's not always clear cut. And I've had phone calls in the middle of the night by very senior executives who are, want to understand, like, why are, we, why are we taking the position we're taking? And, and because we have a great established relationships, A, the question comes up directly in a way that we can really engage and discuss it, and B, I've never had a conversation that didn't end up um, in a collaborative outcome. And that's part of the hard work of being the senior communications person. It's also, how do you build that consensus? How do you build that coherency? And how do you also maintain your credibility at the table so that you are a partner? Franz, thank you so much. This was great. If you enjoyed today's episode of The New CCO, be sure to check out our latest episodes and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, leave us a rating and a review. We want to hear what you think so that we can keep making this podcast more interesting and valuable to you. To find out more about what's happening at PAGE, please visit us at page.org. Special thanks go to Morning Consult and to Rivet Smart Audio, our podcast sponsors. Without their support, we wouldn't be able to bring this podcast to you. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time on The New CCO.